thank you that we can meet in the name of Jesus. We thank you that you've given us your word, which is truth. Pray that you will bless the reading and the preaching of your word now. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. amen. Going to read from Matthew chapter 7, last section of the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have the Bibles, chapter 7, Matthew, starting at verse 7. Matthew 7 and verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow way, gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits, to men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who having authority and not as the scribes. Praise the Lord. As some of you know, I do a monthly prophecy talk every last Sunday in the, in the month. Last one's on the website at this present time. Had a lot of information about what's going on in the present time. And I also do this magazine, Light for the Last Days, which I'm working on for the next edition right now. Um, I'm interested in it. I think a lot of people are interested in it. So we get quite a lot of response. have to say also that sometimes it can be a little bit depressing. <laughs> Because when you're looking at things happening in the world in the light of prophecy, you see that there are a lot of bad stuff happening and not very much good, to be honest. You look at situations like what we've seen in Israel and Gaza, terrible situations of first the massacre of the Jewish people, then the results of Israel going into Gaza and the sufferings of people on both sides, particularly those who've been having their homes destroyed and moved from where they live. And we see all sorts of things happening in the world which are bringing suffering and is causing also a great deal of anti-Semitism rising in the world and we've made a bit of a stand on that in the church here and had some good results but 
people around about us here in Golders Green and in Jewish areas are very frightened by the levels of anti-Semitism which are rising and which are manifesting themselves in many different ways, not just here but also in America and around the world. And we see also that there's a rising anti-Christian spirit which is coming. And if you look at some of the anti-Semitism, it fits in with anti-Christian stuff as well because a lot of it's motivated by hatred of Israel and also hatred of God, the Bible, and the hatred of Jesus Christ. And we see that we're living in perilous times indeed. And if I highlight this, some people say, well, it's a bit depressing and it's a bit sort of uh, miserable looking at all this stuff which is happening. So how are we going to handle it? Um, there's an interesting passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 where Solomon, uh, looking at some of the troubles in the world, uh, made this statement. Then I returned and considered all the oppression that is done under the sun and looked the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. On the sides of the oppressors there is power, but they have no comforter. Therefore I praise the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still alive. Yet better than both is he who has never existed who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. Uh, not a very inspiring scripture, and you might think, well, what's that doing in the Bible? And it's a reminder, actually, that you don't take every verse from the Bible and take that as a doctrine. That is Solomon expressing his feelings about what he's seen on the earth. And, you know, I'm reading through the book of Job at the moment, and you don't take everything which is said in the book of Job as a doctrine. It's what people have said. But it's a natural response. When you look at what's happening in the world, you might think, well, where does all this oppression come from? What can we do about it? Uh, perhaps it's even better not to have ever been born than seeing all this stuff that's going on and going through it. And sometimes people can say, well, Tony Pierce, you shouldn't be highlighting all this stuff because it depresses people. In fact, one of my critics uh, made a response to my last uh, prophecy talk, and he said, I do not dwell on what I have been saved out of. I prefer to meditate on the goodness of God and the glorious future to which I have been saved into. We pay far much, too much attention to the world which will shortly disappear in flames and we concentrate far too little on the glorious eternal kingdom that will replace it. In other words, don't look at the negative stuff in the world, but look at the glorious future which we have in heaven. And we should look at the glorious future we have in heaven. It's a good uh, antidote to the negativity around us. And you can look in the world and see that things are happening which could cause you to feel, as I said, some kind of depression or despair. And we look at the glories of heaven, where we will inherit for eternity. And that should lift us up uh, and know that that's where we're heading for if we believe in Jesus. It's a great comfort and great hope. But meanwhile, we are here on the earth. And we'll have all eternity to think about the glories of heaven. But while we're here on earth, we have a short time in which God wants to use us in some way to bring something of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, to the earth. And to be a reflection of the glory of God and of the light of Jesus Christ in our lives as we live for him and hopefully win others for the kingdom of God. And part of my motivation for bring, looking at world events in the light of Bible prophecy is it does actually give a view which in the end is hopeful. Uh, it tells you that actually this world is not going to end in total destruction. It's going to end with the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's going to reign on the earth for a thousand years and bring peace and justice to the world. And if you're a believer, you've got a part in that glorious future which is coming. And it gives us a motivation also for the right way in which God wants us to live. Uh, Paul writing to Titus in chapter 2 of Titus, verse 11, said, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, 
looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. In other words, if you're looking for Jesus Christ to return, you should have a motivation to do good works, to put your life right with God, to be ready for his coming, and to have this hope in you which purifies you as he himself is pure, as it says in the book of John. But as I was thinking about all the oppressions and the bad things going on in the world, it occurred to me that many of them come from two basic mistakes which human beings are making. One, they behave in the wrong way, and two, they believe the wrong things. Uh, whether you look in the Western world, what we have here in uh, Britain and Europe, you see that we have most, most part abandoned Christianity. We've turned to sort of all kinds of alternatives, including the kind of woke uh, diversity agenda, which puts everything equal, including all kinds of behaviors which are sinful, and which says you mustn't judge anything, you mustn't say anything's wrong, uh, where the Bible tells us we should say certain things are wrong. And we have a generation which is being increasingly indoctrinated with ideas which are quite anti-Christian. Uh, you look at Russia, you see an even worse state there with dictatorship in which people are being brainwashed with, uh, or indoctrinated with the ideas of the Kremlin and the government and kept in tremendous oppression and uh, a lot of great poverty and um, suffering. China, even worse. Islamic world, even worse. And you can see examples of it all around the world. People rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ, living the wrong way, and not asking for the good gifts that God wants to give to us, on the road, broad road to destruction, and listening to false prophets who are producing bad fruit because they're feeding from the bad roots, and as a result, they're building their house on the sand, which will crash when the storm comes and leave them ruined. That's the negative, so let's look at the positive, which we've just read in the book of Matthew, in Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. It tells us how Jesus wants us to live, how he wants us to make a difference in the corrupt world which we see around us. And in a few short sayings here, Jesus gives us a huge amount of good counsel on how to navigate our way through the troubled world which we live in, in the times that we are still here. So let's go back and see what he says. First of all, verse 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Seek and you shall find. For those who have received Jesus as Saviour, and Lord, the Lord has opened up a door of communication. door of communication which enables us who are sitting here on the earth to communicate with God who is in heaven. You think what a tremendous privilege that is. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So we can speak to God through prayer. He can speak to us by the Holy Spirit through his word. There's a door of communication which is open to us. And the barrier of sin which separates us from the Holy God has been removed through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus at the cross. So that when we repent and believe the gospel, that Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose from the dead, we are born again of the Holy Spirit to eternal life, and we become the sons and daughters of the living God. Do you ever think what a tremendous privilege that is, that you have received it, and that you have become a son or a daughter of God who made you and who, is going to rede who has redeemed you 
and who has a place for you in eternity. And it's a wonder to me that not everybody receives it, but that's how it is. We've come to believe in the Lord Jesus and have new life in him. And Jesus goes on to say that as a good father will give good gifts to his children, so God, who is the ultimate good father, is going to give good gifts to those who believe in him. Uh, Parallel passage to the passage about in Matthew 7 here in Luke chapter 11, verse 31, says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And implicit in the good gifts which God wants to give us is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is the third person of the triunity, that means that God wants to give you and me the gift of the Holy Spirit to come and dwell within us. The God who has made us, who wants to come and dwell within us by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is God. He is God equal with Jesus, and he wants to come and live in you and me. Can you think what a privilege that is? Uh, Do you want to have the Holy Spirit living within you? Do you want to have new life in Jesus? I hope so. And the Bible says that he will lead us into all truth. One of the things which you see around us in the world today is a huge amount of deception and error and confusion in the religious world in particular, sometimes in the Christian world. And therefore you need to have the Holy Spirit to lead you into all truth. He'll also come on the condition that we ask him to come. So there's something we have to do to ask and you shall receive. And he'll come as we do what he tells God, God tells us to do. If you turn to John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus speaking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, he will give you another helper, that the word, he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He dwells with you. He will be in you. And Jesus is saying here that he wants to be in you. He wants to be in your life. And you have to ask him for that. That's what he says here. Ask and you shall receive. And it's fairly simple. You don't have to go to university to work out what that means. It just means you ask God to give you the Holy Spirit. And he promises that he will give you the Holy Spirit and come and dwell within you and lead you into all truth. Further on in John 14, verse 26, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He says he's going to give to you the Holy Spirit, and he's going to give you peace. He's going to also teach you all things. Now, it's good to have... Bible teachers to teach you the word of God. But also we have the Holy Spirit. He wants to teach us all things and to lead us into all truth. And all these good things are more and more available to every believer in Jesus. What you have to do is ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it be opened unto you. Problem with human beings is that for the most part we don't ask or we ask for the wrong things. And in the book of James, chapter 4, there's an interesting verse where James speaks about asking and receiving. And in verse 1 of James 4, it says, Where do wars come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? 
You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. So James is there rebuking the people who don't ask. And if they do ask, they ask for the wrong things. And you can see that in the world today, people are asking for things which are the wrong things. It speaks about lusts and pleasures and fighting and war. And all those things are contrary to what God wants to give to us. And so God wants us to ask him for the good things which come from the Holy Spirit and to avoid the bad things which come from the enemy, the evil one. And that verse there in James, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. Have to ask ourselves, do we ask the right things from God? Do we ask God to help us in the right way? And are we earnest in asking? Do we persist and seek God with all our heart? Go to Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. And Jeremiah says there, Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find you when you search for me with all your heart. So it implies there's a bit of effort that needs to be taking place on our part. It doesn't just come served up on a plate. We have to seek God earnestly and to ask him to give us these gifts and be persistent in prayer. Keep knocking till the door is opened. And don't lose heart if you have some failures or things don't go quite the way you want them to do. But continue and persist in what God wants to give to us. <clears throat> And the most important prayer is that we should ask God to make us walk in his ways, to make us the kind of people he wants us to be. You know, often you go to a prayer meeting and people ask God to help you with their financial needs, their health needs, etc., which is legitimate, you can do that. But not very often do people ask people, God to help them to become better people, to become the kind of people who God wants them to be, to deal with our spiritual problems. And those are the things which God really wants to hear us praying for praying that he might change us to be the people like he wants us to be. Uh, David Guzik commented on this passage. And if you don't know David Guzik, he's a very good Bible commentator. He's done a commentary on the whole of the Bible. So you want to know some good notes on the Bible, look up David Guzik's notes. Uh, but he says, ask, seek, knock. We see a progressive intensity going from ask to seek to knock. Jesus told us to have intensity, passion, and persistence in prayer. The fact that Jesus came back to the subject of prayer already dealt with in some depth in Matthew 6, 5 to 15 shows the importance of prayer. In this threefold description of prayer as asking, seeking and knocking, we see different aspects of prayer and different aspects of its reward. Prayer is like asking in what that we simply make our requests known to God and everyone who asks receive. Receiving is the reward of asking. Prayer is like seeking that we search after God, his word, and his will, and he who seeks finds. Finding is the reward of seeking. Prayer is like knocking until the door is opened and we seek entrance into the heavenly, great heavenly palace of our great king. Entering through the open door into his palace is the reward of knocking and the best reward of all. So receiving is the reward of asking, finding is the reward of seeking, and entering through the open door into the presence of God is the reward of knocking, the best reward of all. So God is telling us to do those things, to seek him, to ask and to knock and to enter in. Now as a result of this, there should be some change in the kind of people we are. Uh, when you become a Christian, praise God, you're born again. 
but you haven't arrived, you've started. It's, it's not the concluding point when you become a Christian. The next phase is God wants you to be sanctified. And that's a process which goes right through your life. God wants to change us by the Word and by the Holy Spirit into the people he wants us to be. And that will continue until we get to glory, in which case we'll then, we'll then be glorified and have new body and, a new, and be with the Lord forever. But in the meantime, God wants us to ask, to seek, to knock on the door, and to let Jesus come into our lives and change us into the people he wants us to be. Now, as a result, as I said, there should be a change in our behavior. And it's summed up in verse 12 of the passage in Matthew 7 we just read, where he says, Therefore, whatever you want men to do, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets, sometimes known as the golden rule. Do unto others as you would be done by. Jesus says that sums up the law and the prophets. Interestingly, Jesus is actually taking a teaching which is already prevalent amongst Jewish people uh, from a man called Hillel, Jewish teacher, who put it the other way around. He said, what is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow. This is the whole Torah, the rest is commentary, go and learn. So Hillel said, don't do to others what, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. Jesus put it the other way around and said, do unto others what you'd like them to do to you. So ask yourself the question, how do you want people to treat you? Do you want them to hate you, to cheat you, to lie to you, to rob you, to oppress you? If you're married, do you want your partner to be unfaithful to you, to treat you with contempt? Of course not. Uh, so on that level, you should treat others the way you'd like them to treat you. You want people to treat you kindly, with love and honesty, with compassion, to treat you fairly, to tell you the truth. And you want that to be the way in which people treat you, so you should treat people yourself that way as you deal with them. And you look at through the whole teaching of the New Testament, especially comes out in many of the letters of Paul, that's really how we should live as believers in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, uh, Paul says about the new man, the new life in Jesus. He says that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, that you put on the new man which was created according to God in righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who steal, stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for the Necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by which you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgive you. What would the world be like if everybody lived like that? <laughs> be a bit better, wouldn't it? <laughs> wouldn't have any of all these uh, troubles and violence and hatred going on. But unfortunately, in the present world, that's not how it is. And it won't be actually until Jesus returns. 
won't be because of the influence of sin and of the devil, which is active, who is actively working in the world today to get people to do his will, not God's will. But it should be like that in the church, because we're born again of the Holy Spirit. Is it always like that in the church? Well, sometimes not. <laughs> uh, but that's how it should be. And it's not because sometimes the devil's able to influence what goes on inside Christianity as well. So we need to have the right spirit working within the body of Christ. But we should aspire to live that way. That's how we should be aspiring to live. And that's how Jesus says us to live. Unfortunately, most people don't. And most people are walking on the broad road that leads to destruction. Leads us on to the next thing which Jesus says. Verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. Narrow gate. For wide is the gate that leads, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few that find it. The majority of people in the world, unfortunately, are on the broad road that leads to destruction, not the narrow road that leads to life. It's much easier to walk down the broad road that leads to destruction because you've got a whole load of people who are going to be going with you and pushing you down that road and you don't have to go against the flow. It's much more difficult to go down the narrow road which leads to life because you're going against the flow. Whatever society you're in, you'll find it will have influences which are pushing people against going down the narrow road and which will be moving against you. But it's the right way to go. Imagine that you're walking through a forest trying to find your desired destination and you come to a fork in the road. There are two roads before you and you don't have a map, so you need to decide which road you're going to go down. When you get to the fork in the road, you find that there is a dead man lying there who is, has his finger pointing down one road and there's a living man who's standing there who's actually the, pot, the forest ranger who knows all about it. He's pointing you to go down the other road. Which one are you going to choose to, which one are you going to follow? The dead man or the living man? If you're sensible, you could follow the living man, won't you? Unfortunately, around the world today, multitudes of people are following the advice of dead men, pointing them to go down the road to destruction, the broad road. And a few people are following the advice of the leading of the living man, who's the Lord Jesus, who's telling you to go down the narrow road, the narrow road that leads to life. The broad road is easier, you're following the crowd, you're going with the flow. The narrow road is harder, you're going against the flow. It can be lonely, sometimes you have to leave your former friends behind. Uh, you have to enter the narrow gate to get onto the narrow road. The narrow gate means the gate where you humble yourself before God. You recognize that you're a sinner and that you need a savior. And you repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ then you can enter into the narrow, through the narrow gate onto the road which leads to life. But in doing that, you're following one who himself was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, gave his life as a ransom for many at the cross. But unlike the false prophets who lead you on the broad road that leads to destruction, this man is alive because he's risen from the dead, and he's eternally alive, and he's able to help you on your pilgrimage along the hard way that leads to eternal life. Because he's not just a man, he's God. Emmanuel, God with us, the Lord Jesus Christ. And today there are multitudes of people who are following the crowd 
on the road to hell and ignoring the one who can lead them to eternal life. It's very sad. And that's why God actually wants us to bear witness to people is that they can change the road they're on. Because actually, no matter how far you've gone down the broad road, you can always get off it. You can always come back to the point of entering through the narrow gate onto the narrow road uh, to life. You can do that even now if you haven't done it. You can accept Jesus Christ as Savior and get off the broad road onto the narrow road that leads to life. Let's move on. The next passage speaks about the false prophets. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruits to men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. There are multitudes of false prophets, some of whom may look good, may sound like they're giving you the right message, but actually they turn out to be wolves in sheep's clothing who want to devour you and destroy the people who they influence. You can think of many false prophets who come in the, time, in the past. You can think of major prophets, major false prophets. For example, Muhammad, if he existed. Uh, but certainly whoever wrote the Quran was doing so by the spirit of a false prophecy, uh, creating a false religious system that has trapped over a billion souls in its grip and denies that Jesus is the true son of God who, uh, who died for our sins and rose from the dead. If you know, the Quran actually tells you that Jesus was too holy to be put on the cross, so he's taken straight up to heaven uh, without going through the cross and dying and rising from the dead. Uh, they think that's giving honor to Jesus, is actually taking away the whole heart of the gospel, which is that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again from the dead. A false prophet has trapped people in a system which cannot lead them to life, but leads them to destruction. You can think of Roman Catholicism, which has introduced a number of false teachings into Christianity, including the doctrine of the mass, which teaches that the bread and the wine becomes the literal body of Christ, uh, and the wine becomes the literal blood of Christ uh, when the priest prays over it, and therefore it is sacrificed over and over again. The Catechism, it says that in the Mass, Jesus, Jesus is sacrificed over and over again in an unbloody sacrifice, uh, which is able to bring you life through his name. The Bible tells us there's one, Jesus Christ died once for our sins. He doesn't need to be sacrificed over and over again, and this bread remains bread. It's a symbol of the body of Christ. The wine became, remains wine. It is a symbol of the blood of Christ, which was given for us. And Roman Catholicism also introduced another way of salvation through Mary, who is seen as a queen of heaven, also sometimes as a co-redemptrix, one who also redeemed us. Jesus was the only one who redeemed us, Jesus alone. And so we have another kind of false religion. And you've got liberal Protestantism, which denies the central truths of the Bible, denies creation, denies the second coming, denies the miraculous, and basically denies that Jesus is Son of God and Son of Man. Or you've got Marxism, humanism, atheism, evolution, Buddhism, New Age, uh, yoga, multi-faith religious systems, and even our modern diversity gurus and teachers who are inflicting kind of woke values on society that conflict with Bible teaching. There are multitudes of false prophets out there. Now, Jesus says you can tell who is true and who is false by their fruit. You can tell whether the truth by their fruits. If they have a bad root, they'll have a bad fruit. If they have a good root, 
they'll have a good fruit. And you look at all the things which have happened. You look at Hitler and the Nazis. Hitler was seen as a kind of Führer, Messiah figure to Germany. What did he produce? Horrors of the Holocaust and the Second World War in which multitudes of people died and the destruction of Germany instead of its salvation. Look at Lenin and the communists. They promised them a paradise on earth through communism. What did they produce? Basically, a pretty much a hell on earth through communism with an oppressive system which oppressed people and crushed them. False prophets bringing from feeding from a bad root and producing bad fruit. And you look at the Western vote values which are replacing Christianity. Are they making people better and happier, uh, living better lives, doing good to their lives, or are they leading them to oppression and depression in the situation you see around us? And we see the tragic results, especially in our youth today, ending up with depression, drug abuse, destructive life patterns, violence, gangs, sexual immorality, all kinds of things which are coming out of the false teachings which are being given to young people today, uh, quite often in the schools, on the internet, and all kinds of bad influences around us. And all the false cults around us which end up in oppression and bondage. Sometimes they may give a short period of happiness, but they end up with misery and depression. By contrast, if you're on the right path and you're listening to the true prophet who is the Lord Jesus, and you ask the Holy Spirit to guide you and to fill you, you're rooted in the good news of Jesus Christ, you're going to produce the good fruit. As Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. The good fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what God wants to produce in us. Is that what God produces in you all the time? Be honest. No. What he produces in me all the time? No. Often we find that we're not producing that fruit. Certainly not all the time. So what's the answer? The answer is quite simple. Go back to where we started. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock on the door will be opened unto you. If you find yourself prone to anger, impatience, ask God to give you patience. If you find there are people you can't stand and really wish you didn't have to teach to them, ask God to give you love for them. Pray for them. God wants to change us by his Holy Spirit. He wants us to put to death the flesh life which produces the bad fruit which we inherit from Adam. And he wants us to feed the spirit life, the new life which we receive from Jesus Christ. And to live new lives to his praise and glory. Okay, let's move on to the next thing. Verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but though he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. A little bit difficult, that one. Um, appears here that Jesus is talking to people who have to be committed Christians. They're calling him Lord. Uh, apparently they're doing miracles in his name. They're casting out demons, which is a bit more than we do. Uh, they're 
doing signs and wonders in his name. So, what's wrong? Uh, now, he's saying here that it may be all in pretense. They may be calling him Lord, but they're not doing what he says, and they're not submitted to him. Um, remember back in the 1990s when I was pretty much into the charismatic movement and with the signs and wonders movement, and we saw a whole lot of things happening which were totally out of order as far as God was concerned. We saw people making huge claims for miracles. When you added up, actually the miracles weren't happening and their lives were completely out of order. And some of them were even, while they were preaching, were carrying on with another woman who was not their marriage their wife and we saw some things happening which were quite disgraceful in the eyes of the Lord and we see people who are making false claims and corrupt doing things which are corrupt and deception so also spiritual abuse from preachers who are trying to control and manipulate people and treating them in a way which was quite ungodly uh, now Jesus says here that there are people who will be speaking in his name who don't know him and when you look at church history, you've got multitudes of people down through history who you can say who were speaking in his name who were actually doing the opposite of what Jesus said they should be doing. And Jesus says to them, he will say, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So following Jesus means that we have to practice righteousness and to, not just to speak the words, but also to do them, put them into practice. And he says there'll be people out there who will be claiming things for themselves and claiming to be something great, but actually they're not true. They're actually false prophets who are leading people astray. Which leads us to the final section, which we'll close with in a moment. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was it full. If you look at that passage, the house building, which represents our life, what we do with what we've learned about Jesus Christ, how we live our lives, ask a question, are we building our lives on the rock of faith in Jesus Christ and obedience to his name, doing his will, or are we building on the sand? Any of the wrong foundations which we've already looked at? Are we doing what we think is right but ignoring God and ignoring what he tells us to do and disobeying his word and his commandments? It's quite a simple choice. But if you note, in both cases... The same thing happens to the house on one level. The rain descended, the floods rose, and the winds blew and beat upon that house. Happens to the house built on the sand, it happens to the house built on the rock. The difference is that one falls and one stands. The rain, the floods, and the winds speak of the trials, the temptations, the difficulties, and the struggles with the evil one. The difficulties we may be facing in this fallen world when we're traveling on the hard road that leads to life. They will come on the believer and the unbeliever alike. The difference is that the one who's built on the rock will stand. The one who's built on the sand will fall. And so you have to ask the question yourself, is my house being built on the sand or is it built on the rock? Am I built on the faith in Jesus Christ? Do I truly believe in him? Do I want to do his will? Do I want to follow him through my life? Do I want to do what he tells me to do, not what I want to do? 
Or am I building on the sand, in which case the house is going to fall? So in conclusion, ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit to enable you to walk in newness of life on the road that leads to life, no matter how difficult it may be. Reject the false prophets who deny the truth of the gospel and feed on the good prophets who tell you about faith in Jesus Christ to produce the good fruit of the Holy Spirit. Build your house on the rock of faith so that it will stand in all the storm and stress of life. Whatever you want people to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's have a word of prayer, then we'll sing our final hymn. Lord, we do thank you for your word. Pray that you help us to build our lives on the rock of faith. Help us to walk down that narrow road that leads to life. Help us to hear the truth of your gospel and to follow you and to resist the false prophets and the false teachers who are around us and to do what is right in your sight. In the name of Jesus. Amen.